lukewarm. Crack open a cold one. It's uh, it, it, it's a long night if you're a Florida Gators fan, or it was a long night if you're a Florida Gators fan, but we'll talk about that sadness on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Gators, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Friday. I don't know. I don't know why I said happy. None of us are happy right now, but find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. You can join all of the Utah fans that have found me and they've had they've had a lot of fun because well, we didn't have a lot of fun. Find me with a whole nine sports giants, country, NFL 33, all that fun stuff. You, you, you get the deal by now. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. And yeah, I, I don't know how to feel about this game other than just completely disappointed, deflated. I, I feel more deflated than the entire Florida Gators team looked last night going into this game against the Utah Utes. It's just the main part that's in, inexplicable about it is showing up week one with the opportunity to walk out with a top 25 win because the Florida Gators do have five top 15 opponents on their schedule this year so you had the opportunity to go out there beat a top 15 opponent in the first game of the season and they had their third string quarterback playing their star tight end wasn't playing their starting nose tackle wasn't playing and you went out and had just awful awful performance like they came out there looking as organized as a Pop Warner team. It, it was just bad. So coming out that flat is really, for me, what's just completely unacceptable. Like I, I mentioned it last night on the live stream after the game, which I apologize if you watched that. Not for anything I said, just that you're consuming too much Gators content considering the product they're putting out on the field. Um but it's last year, the worst performance for Florida was not the bowl game where they lost 30 to three to Oregon State. It was the Vanderbilt game because that was a game that you should have won. That was a game where you had the better team and you just came out flat. This tops that way worse because at least the Vanderbilt game, you can go. Mid-season, very cold weather, which is still a cop-out, but you could at least say that. Here, it's week one. You're as fresh as you're ever going to be. You're as probably locked in as you're ever going to be. Locked in, not locked on. We, we don't miss a beat here. You're as locked in as you're ever going to be. And that's what you come out and do? 
a disgusting, like a, a nauseating performance. There's just so much crap there. That was just yikes. Graham Mertz, I, I think he played about as expected. I understand you could look at the numbers, the 300 plus yards, all that stuff. I think he played about what we expected from him. Statistically, like, like he did, sure, the 300 something yards. I thought he'd have 150 yards on, you know, 20 something pass attempts. He had 300 and what, what, 40? 333 yards on 44 pass attempts. It's the same thing. He just had twice as much volume as I expected because they were getting blown out of the water from the jump almost. So ugly game there. Couldn't escape pressure to save his life. I knew it would be bad. I didn't think it'd be that bad of just, hey, there's a defender coming in. Get me. Like he, he would just wait for it. It was just, I mean, he desperately needs to work on something. As far as just not even extending plays, just it felt like he would shorten plays, like like he would just go in there and be like, "I'm gonna get sacked right now. I'm just gonna take horrible performance there." As far as working in the pocket, I think he did very well of, of standing and delivering. He did have some wobbly passes. Uh, he had a couple times where I thought he just didn't get the the speed right on the ball where it was either that he tried to throw it too hard but he didn't have to where he would throw it a little earlier which like, that's a chemistry thing like that's something that you expect to get better over time like the the interception that he threw it's stupid that's listed as an interception but i like i get it like he threw it before ricky was ready hit hit off ricky defender just made a play by not just being there when it got deflected but then following through and tracking the ball and making the play there. But there were some passes, especially early where little wobbly by Graham Mertz, and you'd like to see that get better. My biggest issue with, I think the offense wasn't even just Graham Mertz. It wasn't the offensive line, which I will say did a better job in pass protection than I thought they would. It, it was, why did they not run the football? Florida Gators, Trevor Etienne had seven carries for 25 yards. Montreal Johnson had three carries for six yards. Trayon Webb had one carry for three yards. And if I'm not mistaken, it was in the first quarter. I don't understand what the thought process was because this game felt like a whooping from the jump. It was three to seven at the end of the first quarter. Okay. It was 17-3. At the half, that's still, hey, we can run the ball and get back into it. The really crappy part is that the Gators played the entire game, and even when it felt like, why are you even playing? They were one big play away from getting right back into it. And the way that this Florida Gators team generated big plays in 2022 was not throwing the football 44 times. It was running the football, and they just refused to do that. I don't know what happened with Montreal Johnson or Trevor Etienne that Billy Napier was just like, hey, you know that thing we're really good at? We're not going to do it at all. Makes no sense to me. Graham Mertz threw the ball 44 
times. That is ridiculous. Graham Mertz should not throw the ball 44 times, especially in a game where they lost by two touchdowns. It's not even like it was like 35 nothing. Okay? Anthony Richardson had one game where he threw the ball 44 times last year. It was the Tennessee game. It was the team that plays basically the air raid. The high-octane the high offense. That's when they threw the ball 44 times last year. Not week one against Utah, against a team that also wants to run the ball. It was just stupid, stupid play calling. And I don't get why they refused to do the thing they're good at. Steph Curry, you're, you're, you're a mid-range guy only now. See how moronic that sounds? The thing you're good at to just not do it makes no sense. DeMar DeRozan, no more mid-range. You get to shoot threes and only threes. It doesn't make sense to not run the football in that situation. You have Montreal Johnson. You have Trevor Etienne. You have two guys who are going to be in the NFL. And you gave them the ball, at least rushing-wise, you gave them the ball combined 10 times and you threw to them another, what, Montreal had three catches, another seven times? I don't understand what the thought process was, but it was a bad and dumb thought process. And that's very worrisome considering, hey, this is a, a coaching staff that is like, hey, we're process-oriented, we're process-driven. Your process sucked against the Utah Utes. So things need to get cleared out. Because if you go into this season going, hey, Graham's going to throw the ball 44 times. Just fill out your resume now. Because you sure as hell are not going to make it. And yes, I acknowledge Billy Napier's not getting fired regardless. But if you want to throw the ball 44 times every week, you're going to lose a lot of football games. Especially when, granted, some of them are just pop passes. It was just crappy football. And they were just the shovel pass on fourth down to Dante Xanders was the most egregious play call I've ever seen. Why would you go, hey, fourth and three, you know what we're going to do? Fake the pop pass to Ricky Pearsall and shovel it to the defensive end. You're, that, I, I don't know what the hell was going through Billy Napier's mind at that point. I, I, it's just, it, I, I do not have words to explain how stupid that was. No other way around it. But now we get to talk about the defensive side, which also kind of sucked. Like they, they played kind of well, but they kind of sucked. Before we do that, Florida Gators were playing football again, as they did last night. I don't know if you want to call last night playing football, but they were on the football field for 60 minutes last night. That's what they did. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals if you're trying to get to a game. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 100%, 110% of the difference. I wish that you can get 110% of a refund if you bought tickets to that game because yikes, it sucked. Snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. That's code Locked On College for $20 off. With game time to so download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Guys, you ever have trouble performing? You ever out with your partner or in with your partner and you feel like you just can't get the job done? Does it get worse when there's lots of people around? 
a stage fright? Is it especially bad with guacamole? I'm talking about weak chips. The ones that can't handle a scoop of guac. Well, here at Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, we understand the pain of trying to dip with weak tortilla chips. No one wants to go soft on the guac. Unlike other chips, Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips are literally built to dip. It's incredible. Crispy, corny, just like me, and organic, also just like me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips. These chips will take your tailgate to the next level. They can be found in Publix and sea salt, lime, and nacho flavors. Find them in the deli section with the dips. Let us know what kind of Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips you get. So head on over to Publix, grab a bag of Zach's Mighty, and scoop that guac like the absolute stud you are. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now we're going to spend some time talking about this Florida Gators defense because expectations were high. They did not reach those expectations. Um, it, it sucked. Safety play sucked. And I, I, I'll have to see the snap count and everything. I don't remember seeing RJ Moten play defensive snaps at the deep safety spot after the first play of the game. Because the first play of the game, of course, was uh, uh, Money Parks running deep and, and nobody even attempting to stop him. So it was Money Parks running a deep post against what, what I think was cover one because Jason Marshall was running with him. I'll have to watch the play again, especially when I get all 22. But RJ Moulton was the deep safety. He bid in on the crosser and then he had to recover. And Jason Marshall was running with Money Parks. Ball goes up. R.J. Moten comes in. Money Parks is catching the ball no matter what. R.J. Moten just takes out Jason Marshall Jr. I don't know. I don't know what was going through his mind, but he just takes out Jason Marshall Jr. Woof. Um, and yeah, I don't remember him playing any deep safety snaps after that. It it was really rough. It just sucked. Um, the defense desperately needs to improve. And I think they will as the year goes on, you know, getting more comfortable because they clearly were just not comfortable. Calls need to get in quicker if you're the Florida Gators. There were multiple times where it, it just seemed like Austin Armstrong was like yelling into the headset while Utah is ready to snap the ball. Like, like Utah is like getting ready. Bryson Barnes is getting his hand. He's getting ready to take the snap. And Florida, all the defensive linemen are standing up, just just straight up, just like, hey, just hit me, dude. I'm not moving. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just here. Just I'm a tackling dummy. Defense is standing up, or they're all shifting completely. And it's not the fun kind of shifting pre-snap where you're like, oh, they're doing this to to confuse the offense. No, it was the oh, where the hell am I supposed to be? Wait, no, I thought you were supposed to be. It was just chaos in the worst possible. I'm team chaos. I'm team organized chaos, though. It was just completely unorganized. I get it. Austin Armstrong's first game as defensive coordinator, 30-year-old defensive coordinator. He's got time. He's got to get this all set. He needs to get play calls in quicker. I don't know if his play call, like the names, are too long. He needs to figure out a way to get that in quicker. And especially when the team's going no huddle, you have to be able to go, just go, okay, we're going to make this change really quickly. 
You need to have something set up to be better than you were. Because if you go out against Tennessee and you need a full play play clock to get a call in, just don't show up because they're going to eat you alive. Another thing that that drove me absolutely crazy, Prince Leumann Mielin, number one, edge rusher. Best pass rusher on the team, and it isn't even a little bit close. He's playing the Jack linebacker spot this year, and I get it. With that privilege to play Jack linebacker comes the responsibility of having to play coverage a bit. Totally understand that. I think he's put in coverage too much, and I think it's ridiculous to put him in man coverage as often as he was. He shouldn't be in man coverage at all, if we're being honest, but he's been in man coverage far too often against running backs and tight ends. I have no problem with Princey dropping back in coverage as far as his talent level. You want to put Princey in coverage and, and he can do it? That's fine. Spring game, he looked all right doing it. What my issue is, is that they would do it in opportunities or in circumstances where it seemed like Utah was likely going to throw the ball. And when you think the opponent's going to throw the ball, you have to give your best pass rusher the opportunity to make a play. You have to, because like, it felt like there were so few opportunities where Princely lined up against the left tackle, freshman, and even when he did, he was dropping into coverage. I don't have a problem with how Princely played. I don't have a problem with how most of the defensive line played. I do have an issue with how long it takes Cross to get in. I do have an issue with putting Princely in coverage incessantly. And it, it just felt like this defense just, I don't know, you, you just, every time, even when they were making plays, you, you were just left wanting more. There were a few plays they got bailed out. You look at, uh, was it Makai Bernard down the sideline or Jaquindon Jackson? One of the running backs down the sideline on the double pass, which was the most obvious double pass on the planet. They were wide open. It was just a bad ball because it was a wide receiver throwing the ball. It was Devon Vele. And there was, I believe, Princely in coverage. Why Why is he in man coverage in that situation? That's my... It's not the loss that bothers me. It's that you lost doing the stupidest crap possible in a game that you should have... Not should have won, but should have felt a lot closer. Because there were just simple errors that just kept happening. Where it's like, well, hey, maybe if you didn't do this dumb thing, you'd be in a better spot to win this football game. But you didn't. And now you started the year 0-1. And sure, next week you have McNeese, then you have Tennessee, and then you have Charlotte. So you're probably going to be, at worst, 2-2 going into the, the real SEC stretch of Kentucky, South Carolina, then Vanderbilt, then you're by, and then... Georgia and then then hell after the bye week. But they, they like this is just stuff that I'm not saying Florida should have won the game. I am saying they made too many boneheaded decisions and too many boneheaded mistakes that were inexcusable. To wrap up today's show, we're going to talk about just 
I I don't even know how to describe it. The game changers, because um, that's that's how Billy Napier and this coaching staff that that's what they call special teams game changers, um, which is fair because again, and I've said this before, I've said this multiple times before, his last year sucked too. They never promised that they were changing the game in a positive way for the Florida Gators. So they're not lying. They are they are game changers. Um, it just sucked. And and that's that. But there were just some mistakes like the missed field goal especially sucked. Because I mean, it was the the penalty, the false start that pushed you back, and then you ended up kicking it, and you didn't want to kick it anyway. They were gonna go for it. And then the penalty screwed them up. And so they had to then kick it, and then they missed the kick that felt like a backbreaker just early on, like a second quarter backbreaker or a first half backbreaker, and it just sucked. You have the one shank by Jeremy Crosha, who for the most part had a pretty good game. Like like the offense stalled quite a bit, and Jeremy Crosha did a good job of flipping position against the Utah Utes quite a couple times. So he did a good job for the most part. The shank sucked. You look at Eugene Wilson III fielding the punt inside his own five and then getting tackled. And I I just don't understand something like that. I am sick and tired of the Florida Gators defense. Last year, it was rare for them to force a punt. Last night also wasn't super common, but more common than last year. But I'm sick and tired of watching when the Florida Gators defense does a good job of forcing a punt that they then screw it up on special teams, game changers, whatever you want to call it. I'm so tired of watching that. And Eugene Wilson fielding a punt, and I understand it. Like I, I understand what was going through his head at that point. In his mind, I'm pretty sure he was thinking, this is a touch for me. Like, this is a way for me to get the ball in my hands. I'm a dynamic playmaker. The offense is kind of stalling out. Let me try to make something happen. However, you can't feel the punt running backwards, catch it, and then try to make something happen. That's just one of those times where I understand you're a true freshman. You're playing the first game of your college football career. And you want to make a play. But that's one of those times where you wanting to force yourself to make a play made a negative play. Yeah, there was a couple of times after that where Utah punted and they just got a, a great roll or a great bounce coming back. Awesome. I So I get like, oh, that could happen. You, you got to let that one roll. You have to let them roll at some point. Okay. So I, I I get that. Another thing involving Eugene Wilson, but not his fault. The the two number threes, like like the that equipment penalty. I don't know how you let that happen. Absolutely ridiculous to let that happen because it's just so dumb. I understand wanting both Jason Marshall and Eugene Wilson the third to play special teams, especially on punt return. I get that. What my issue was, 
and I don't know if this is like the rule that the defensive player has to change. I don't get why Jason Marshall is the one that's supposed to change to 33 on punt return. Because in my mind, after the punt return, there's going to be a break in the action anyway. Before the punt return, Jason Marshall Jr. is wearing number three on the field. Why would Eugene Wilson not just be wearing number three or number 33 waiting on the sideline? Like, why is it not, why is it not Trey just waiting on the sideline in number 33? And then when they have to punt, Jason Marshall can just stay on the field and, and go play on punt return, whatever his role is in that specific set with Eugene Wilson returning punts in number 33. Because again, after that punt return, there's going to be a break in the action, and he can switch from 33 back to 3. There's not always a break in the action for Jason Marshall to switch from 3 to 33. I don't understand why that... That seems like a logistical nightmare, to like, or just a dumb decision, and, and I can't understand it, and it's one of those incredibly frustrating, incredibly annoying, stupid things that is apparently just going to be the trend with the Florida Gators. Uh, at least for a bit. So can't wait for that. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free to listen to podcasts. We'll be back Monday. Thankfully, uh, we, we get a little bit of break. I'm going to have to, unfortunately, watch this game a couple more times, and that's really going to suck. Uh, thanks to Utah fans, whoever tuned in. Appreciate your for Lockdown Gators. I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. And I will see you all Monday. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.